south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 341, covering the week of January 23rd through January 27th, 2023. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, like our Gab and Facebook pages, and subscribe to our YouTube page, which is an invaluable resource. The YouTube page is great because you can get this podcast there. Also, all of our lectures, our Abbeville U videos, we've just got a mountain of material for you to consume on the YouTube page, all free of charge. So please head out to the YouTube page and subscribe. Also, while you're there, you can support the Institute by clicking on that little super thanks button under the video. Lots of great ways to support the Institute. You can go to abbevilleinstitute.org, A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, and click on the Donate button while you're there. We do exist on your generous contributions alone, so if you like all the things we do, please consider a tax-deductible donation to the Abbeville Institute. By the way, some of the things we do, we've got a webinar coming up. If you're getting this, either a Friday the 27th or Saturday, I'm sorry, Friday the, yeah, Friday the 27th or Saturday the 28th, excuse me, um, we do have a free webinar on antebellum Southern conservatism on Saturday morning. So if you're getting it beforehand, you can still sign up for that. If you're on the email list, we've sent out the link a number of times. Uh, but just check your email, and I will be sending out another email to remind you just before the event. So you can get on that. It is free of charge, and you can watch it. It will go back up on YouTube afterwards, but nothing like watching it uh, live because you can ask questions. So. These are the kind of things that your donations support. Also, our free mobile app. It is now available on Apple, so you can get it at the Apple Store, and it's also available on Google Play. So our free mobile app, get the Abbey Blinds to do on the go. It's not free to us, but it is free to you, and your donations help things like that. Plus, all of our conferences, our events. Our next event is April 13th through 16th, 2023 at Callaway Gardens in Pine Mountain, Georgia. It is our 20th anniversary event. It's going to be a grand time. It will be the largest Abbeville event of the year. So you're going to want to be there for that. Uh, information is available on our website on that. And registration does close in the middle of March. So you're going to need to get out there and hop on that. We don't have much time left to get enrolled and signed up for the event. So lots of great ways to support the Institute again. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Leave that text review, five-star review where you can, and comment on the YouTube channel for the algorithm. That does help promote the Institute painlessly, which is a, a nice thing. Okay. Well, let's talk about the material this week. We had some really good stuff this week. Uh, that I, I it's It blew me away how good some of these uh, pieces were this week. And, of course, some of this is tied into the the modern hate confederate moment, which is what Clyde Wilson calls his piece on Monday. So we'll talk about that. But we know that a lot of things are happening. For example, uh, the Arlington Confederate Monument is still there. And there's been a very strong concerted effort from the Defend Arlington group to keep it there. Uh, they will be publishing some white papers, which does have a short little essay by yours truly, which was written for the video we put on the YouTube channel. Uh, in defense of the Arlington Confederate Monument. So that, that essay is in this selection of white papers from people writing about the monument. We've, we've already had uh, the essay about uh, Jewish involvement in the monument and how important that is. So a lot of great stuff is, is happening there, but we know that we're still you know, fighting in many ways a losing battle because 
It seems like the headwinds are against what, against us and we're climbing Mount Everest with, with uh, flip-flops on. I've said it for years. I've been making that analogy now for, uh, gosh, close to a decade, it seems like. And we started this podcast in 2015. So we're getting close to a decade, 341 episodes. A lot has been said, and it's only gotten worse uh, in the last several years. So uh, it is it is discouraging at times, but... Um, I do think that there still are some positive developments, and the Defend Arlington group has some positive developments, and maybe this uh, this monument will stay up. I don't know. Uh, but if it goes down, it's another act of barbarism by the other side. And I do think that the pendulum's going to swing back the other way. The unfortunate part of it is that we only have the Republican Party as allies in this, and the Republican Party can never be trusted. The Republican Party is always going to try to do what's in their best interest, and they don't think there's any political capital in it. They're not going to act. And that is the real danger of putting all your faith in the Republican Party. So a lot of this has to be grassroots. We know that some monuments have remained in place, that city councils and uh, you know county councils have decided that monuments aren't going to be torn down. We know that uh, some places are really making concerted effort to, re to acquire the monuments that were taken down and put them somewhere so that people can still enjoy those monuments. So there are some things that are going on to try to work with the current climate and do the, do the best we can with the situation. Now, one of the great tragedies of all this is the stain on the character of Robert E. Lee. And uh, there was, of course, years ago in the Atlantic, this uh, ridiculous piece by Adam Sewer, The Myth of the Kindly General Lee, that any time you have Robert E. Lee's birthday, which we just had, of course, last week, you have this piece circulating around on social media, and people will cite it again it's a ridiculous piece that's not based on any fact. And, and a lot of it's based on conjecture. And I, I've, I've just I destroyed the piece on uh, for the Abbeville Institute, uh, Robert E. Lee versus Twitter Historians, which uh, there were other people involved in that that I, that I attacked. But that was the basis of all of it. In fact, anytime you see an article now that's critical of Robert E. Lee, it's based on two things. The sewer piece and the prior book, Reading the Man. It's all based on those things. And even the prior book doesn't really support what people think it supports. It's a, she does make some accusations in that book that I find laughable. Uh, but uh, regardless, she wrote that book to be a counter to Douglas Southall Freeman's Robert E. Lee. But I, I want to start with the piece that we published on Wednesday. And the title of it is Why Lee Still Matters. Why Lee Still Matters. And this piece was actually written in, uh, in 2012, about a decade ago. And it starts with a, a television interview with George C. Scott. And this interview was in 1976. And so uh, NBC, the Today Show at NBC, used to have a, a full two-hour program on Fridays that would highlight one of the states. And one of the states, of course, was going to be Virginia. And George C. Scott presented the episode on Virginia. And he took a tour of the Washington and Lee campus in, uh, in Lexington. And um, he talked about uh, Robert E. Lee before he went to Lee Chapel. Now, again, this is 1976, the bicentennial. I've mentioned on this program before how many people admired Robert E. Lee didn't matter where they were from, uh, north or south, 
And this is in the period after the war. Now, there were, of course, Northerners after the war who wanted Lee hung for treason. I mean, all that was there, right? But by the early 20th century, universally, Robert E. Lee was admired by just about every American uh, of note. And you had, of course, Dwight Eisenhower with a picture of Robert E. Lee. And it didn't stop people asking, you know, writing a letter in. The famous letter defending Lee from Eisenhower was in response to some dope who wrote in and wondered how he could have a picture of a traitor, traitorous slaveholder in his office. And so this is in the 19, you know, early 1960s. And so Eisenhower responded in the way that he did. This is one of the best men ever. Now, Eisenhower was very good friends with, with uh, Douglas Southall Freeman, and people would say, well, that was why. You know, he, he didn't really understand Lee. I think he understood Lee quite well, Dwight Eisenhower being one of the greatest generals in American history. But he understood Lee quite well. And so you have George C. Scott, who, of course, played Patton, the 1970 film. And um, this interview is, or this, this program is great. And I, I've tried to, I've searched high and low for a video of it, and I can't seem to find it. If anybody listening to this program can find a video, a full video of this, it would be great because it would be fantastic to transcribe it. And of course, there is a, there is a, um, a pamphlet um, that has it. And so it would be fantastic to get that pamphlet. It's very hard to find, at least uh, you know, in, in any way that you can get it online. It would be great to, to simply have that and, and um, reprint it. But he says, um, at the beginning, he says, what are you and I supposed to learn from or feel about the world and the character of a man like Robert E. Lee? He's cold, he's cool, he's passe. We're avant. We're at, he's out of it. We're up to here in it. Well, Scott continued, there are a few qualities this remarkable creature had which may serve us too if we consider them. And so he listed them. Patience, quiet good humor, adoration of children. I, I talked about that, that adoration of children. I mentioned that on this podcast when there was a, a doctor in the town in which I live, who went to Washington Lee, and he had a professor. This is back in the 1950s. He had a professor who was a child when Robert E. Lee was the president of the institution. And he remembers putting flowers on Traveler and Lee pretending like he didn't see it and coming out and putting he and his sister on the horse. And he knew the names of all the children in the town. He was a kind man, a sad man. I mean, it was often, you know, his countenance was, was sad when the war was over. And I'll get to that in a minute and what he says is this truly tragic, what he says in this, uh, in this piece or what he said to Winfield Scott. And now modern woke idiots would not think it's tragic. Modern woke idiots would look at this and say, oh, that, they deserved it. But if you really have a, a tinge of humanity, any, you would look at that statement and say, that's horrible. So, uh, you know, uh, adoration of children, loyalty, loyalty, loyalty is important. Respect for hard work, dedication to an ideal, love of animals. He did love his horse. Appreciation of duty, constant, uh, duly constituted authority, I'm sorry, coupled with an aberrance of authoritarianism. A devotion to history, for as General Lee said, it is history that teaches us to hope. Gentleness and the aspiration to achieve gentlemanliness. Understanding of the state of being young. Courtesy toward the conditional frailty of advanced age, acceptance of responsibility, and personal integrity. Now, those are all things that 
George C. Scott said we should remember about Robert E. Lee. And this is why when you look at monuments across the South and you look at who was put on those monuments, and generally it was the common soldier for the most part, and those were the, the dominant monuments, the common soldier. But when you look at figures that people would choose, it was either Jackson, Lee, or Davis. Lee more than anyone else. And it's not just because there was this myth of Robert E. Lee. And it's because people recognized who the man was. They knew him. This personal devotion is unlike anything any northerner has ever experienced. And I, it, Look, I'm telling you, these people are jealous. When Robert E. Lee's monument was put up in Virginia, his men, who are now old men, slept on the ground under the monument because they wanted to be... They wanted Lee to be with his boys one more time. That is a kind of personal devotion that really throughout American history no northern general ever had. The men that inspired that kind of loyalty were all from the south. George Washington, Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson. You could even put Winfield Scott in that list. Um, even though Lee and Scott... Scott loved Robert E. Lee, and Robert E. Lee, I think, admired Winfield Scott. His men, I mean, his men loved Scott. You know, Zachary Taylor had this kind of, of a personal relationship with his men. These were all Southerners. These are all Southerners. Now, Eisenhower was not. Uh, and Eisenhower was probably the only exception to this. Uh, but when you look at, again, these, these generals and these major figures in American history, what Northerners ever inspired this kind of devotion from, from their people? It's hard to find one. Uh, the only people you have, of course, would be someone like, and you have to move outside of, of military circles, but you look at the, the quality of the people that would get this kind of devotion in the North, um, a kind of cult around them, would be John F. Kennedy. Uh, because of his assassination, uh, John F. Kennedy was not a good man. We know this. He was an immoral person to the core, uh, but he has a kind of personal following. John Brown, the homicidal maniac, would have this kind of devotion in some ways. But you look at people that inspire devotion in America, and we can even look on the left, right? You can say someone like Martin Luther King, who's from the South, who has a type of devotion that people have to him. And I think it says something of Southern character. Uh, you, you have that because of Southern character, and that's what Lee captures. And the statement that Lee made, and this was captured by uh, a man named uh, Bradford, Camille Bradford, um, and he said um, uh, in a meeting, uh, Bradford gave an account. He was in the room um, with... Um, uh, I'm sorry, Edward uh, Townsend was was the uh, was in the room, not not Bradford. Bradford wrote the book, but Edward Townsend was in the room with uh, with Lee and Scott, uh, General Edward Townsend, and this is what he said that Lee said at the end of the meeting, which is remarkable. There is drama here, like I mean, it, you can cut it; it's so good. So let me let me read the entire. This is from Townsend's Anecdotes of the Civil War. I'm going to read the whole thing, and the last line uh, is just amazing. So Scott says, You are present on leave of absence, Colonel Lee. Colonel Lee said, Yes, General, I'm staying with my family at Arlington. General Scott, 
These are times when every officer in the United States service should fully determine what course he will pursue and frankly declare it. No one should continue in government employ without being actively employed. No response from Lee. General Scott, after a long pause. Some of these Southern officers are resigning, possibly with the intention of taking part with their states. They make a fatal mistake. The contest may be long and severe, but eventually the issue must be in favor of the Union. Another pause and no reply from Lee. General Scott, seeing evidently that Lee showed no disposition to declare himself loyal or even in doubt. Scott says, I suppose you will go with the rest. If your purpose to resign, it is proper you should do so at once. Your present attitude is an equivocal one. Colonel Lee. The property belonging... The, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back to say this carefully. The property belonging to my children, all they possess, lies in Virginia. They will be ruined if they do not go with their state. I cannot raise my hand against my children. That line, if you have, again, any tinge of humanity, should give you chills. I want to read it again, because this is why Lee sided with the Confederacy. This is it. This is it. No matter what all these dopes like Sewer and Pryor try to do, and paint Lee to be out some vicious slaveholder who wanted to whip slaves and uh, you know hold slaves and everything else, this is why Lee went with Virginia. Again, let me read it. The property belonging to my children... All they possess lies in Virginia. They will be ruined if they do not go with their state. I cannot raise my hand against my children. Lee was one of the greatest Americans in history, without question. Can you imagine any of the founding generation... Uh, you know, Washington, Jefferson, and Virginia. I mean, you take the Northerners, Sam Adams, etc., who would not have agreed with Robert E. Lee. Now, we know there were people that stayed loyal. We know, for example, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin's son uh, stayed loyal, and his grandson did not. So there was a, you know, a break there. But we're talking about Northerners. We know there were Southerners that were loyal in the American War for Independence. We know there were Southerners who sided with the Union, even in the Lee family. But I think Lee could see it clearly, what was going to happen. If the war should come, and it was going to come, and, and, and Scott was right, this is going to be long and bloody, and he thought that the Union would ultimately prevail because they had all the advantages, really, at the beginning of the war. And that it would be you know, almost suicide to go against it. Now, notice Scott doesn't think anybody's committing treason at this point. That's very important. General Winfield Scott doesn't say, Lee, if you if you resign, you're going to be committing treason. He doesn't. People are resigning and going with their state. Scott is not saying this is treason. That's a very important thing to, to note as well. But uh, Lee, understanding what would come with the war regardless... And so this is why this is a more noble action than staying with the Union. So, well, some of the Lee family decided to do the right thing and stay with the Union. I wonder if they had some regrets when it was over. And seeing what happened, seeing what the Republican Party and the war machine had done to the South, if they had any tinge of regret in it. And now they could justify it and say, well, we told them so. We told them. This is what Sherman's thing was. I told them. 
I told them what was going to happen. If they just, they did this, I was going to have to unleash hell on these people. You didn't have to. That was a choice. That was a choice by the Union. This was a choice to do it. This wasn't inevitable. War was not inevitable in 1861. It was a choice on the part of the Lincoln administration. Winfield Scott tried to hold back. Uh, he did. Um, look, Scott was advocating a blockade to try to just bring him to their senses, not have to fire one shot. He knew it was going to happen. So this was a choice that was made. There could have been other choices. This is the thing when you think about the war. What other choices could have been made? There's always a choice. War is not inevitable. There's always a choice in the matter. And for Lee, I think you could see that the choice was going to be made for war. And, of course, Scott, who could see there was going to be a choice for war, made a decision based on not raising his hand against his children. This is going to be everything they have. All they possess is in Virginia. It's a beautiful statement when you think about it, and it's why Lee should be on a monument. That kind of devotion should be celebrated across the United States regardless of politics. But we know that's not going to be the case anymore because we have dopes running things. Woke idiots. And when we get to Clyde Wilson's, which of course Clyde Wilson's piece was on Monday, our Hate Confederates moment. This was actually covered by Phil Lee in a video uh, on his own channel. If you don't go out and subscribe to Phil Lee's channel, you should. He puts out a video just about every day, I think Monday through Friday, on some interesting topic on uh, the war and the South. And oftentimes he's focusing on Confederate monuments and woke stupidity and other things. But um, this piece is great. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's typical Clyde. And there was a part in this, in this piece that made me actually laugh out loud while he sent it to me. Um, I don't often laugh at stuff uh, that, that I get. I mean, there are some funny things at times, but this, this line got me. I mean, it was just hilarious the way he put it. Um, he, he says, uh, first of all, you know, one statement he makes, which is entirely true. This is one, not the one that made me laugh, but he says, wiping the Confederacy from American history a currently mobilized campaign, or dismissing it by a shallow slogan like treason, is to make our history incomprehensible. It's like omitting Winston Churchill from British history or Bolivar from Latin American history. This is true, right? He says the hate Confederates show their shallowness by ignorance of an essential element of understanding history, continuity. Confederate President Jefferson Davis and Generals Robert E. Lee and J Joseph E. Johnston were the sons of officers of the American Revolution. President Zachary Taylor's son, Thomas Jefferson's grandson, and nephews of Presidents James Madison, Andrew Jackson, and James K. Polk were generals in the Southern War for Independence. The families of Francis Scott Key and American frontier heroes, Daniel Boone and David Crockett, were Confederates. In the line of continuity, you might mention heroes of World War II like Patton, Puller, Nimitz, Buckner, Forrest, and Audie Murphy, all descendants of Confederates. And so this is, this is the part of it. When George C. Scott stands there and says, this is, these are the things we have to remember. This is what Americans recognized. While they may not have liked the Confederacy, they may not have thought the Confederate cause was good, they honored it and admired it for who these people were. And what, I mean, the step they took, this is, you have to understand, this is a heroic step to say, I'm going to side with Virginia over 
over, over overwhelming odds, I'm probably going to lose, and yet I do it anyways. Wow. That's the kind of dedication. I mean, that's, that's your team is outmanned in every way, and yet you still step on the field knowing you're probably going to lose the game, and it's going to be painful. But you do it anyways. There's no, you know, fair weather fans, no sunshine patriots, the summer soldiers and sunshine patriots, as Tom Paine called them in the American crisis. Not in the South. In the North, you had them. Not in the South. This is the line, though, that made me laugh in this. General Sidgerly, of course, who wrote the book Robert E. Lee and Me, quantum professor of history at West Point, writes a book about himself and Robert E. Lee. That is like Joe Biden writing a book about Julius Caesar and me. That was great. It's juvenile, self-referential drivel without any relationship to real history. <laughs> like Joe Biden writing a book about Julius Caesar and me. I mean, you think about what he's done there. It's true, right? Robert E. Lee and me. Robert E. Lee wouldn't care about Ty Sidgerly. You're attaching yourself to somebody that would, would not care about you, who you are. They just wouldn't care, particularly after what you've done. And you're, you're trying to ride his coattails. Nobody would read this book if it didn't have Robert E. Lee in the title. No one would care who Ty Sidgerly was, except for two things. One, a video that he made with Prager University, where it's received millions of views. And, I mean, this shows what Prager University is. I mean, people thought, oh, Prager University is good conservative stuff. Yeah, they've had Ty Sidgerly on there. Even Sidgerly was surprised about this because he's a woke leftist idiot. There's no other way to describe him. Uh, and what's remarkable, you know, we published this video on Arlington Confederate Monuments through YouTube. And uh, when you do a search for it, two videos come up. Ours is second now on the list. The first one is from a student of Ty Sidgerly, and it has like 300 views because it's ridiculous, it's boring, it's stupid. But it's the number one video on the list. Ours, which has a lot more views, is underneath that video. That's the Google algorithm for you. But this is where the, these people have home field advantage. Anything they do is going to be elevated to the top, even if it's banal and stupid, which is what Robert E. Lee and me is. It's going to be, oh, this is a great book. You're going to have all the media cover for it. Oh, this is go good. But Clyde points out this is stupid. He's, he's, he's riding Lee's coattails, even though he doesn't realize he's doing it. You take the title out and make it what it really is, My Woke Journey uh, as a History Professor, Nobody's going to read the book because nobody would care. It's not even a good book. It's, I mean, who cares about Ty Sidgerly? Now, people would read George C. Scott and Robert E. Lee because George C. Scott was somebody who's pretty important, right? Pretty prominent, pretty famous in America. Uh, people would read uh, that, but they don't care about Ty Sidgerly. So, uh, this this line was great, and but this is where we are, right? I mean, this is, this is where these woke people, they, they're actually riding the coattails and making money on people they hate. It's important to note that. They wouldn't have this. All of this stuff has elevated them. It's just like, uh, you know, you look at major political movements and you think about fields of study like, uh, you know, weather and climate. They know where the money is. It's to go out and do research on global warming or man-made climate change, whatever it is. If it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for the establishment making this a priority, these people don't do any of that stuff. So because the establishment has made taking down these things a priority, you've got people making money on this. Then they follow the money. 
They know what's there, and they, they want a job, and so they're going to do these things. It's actually embarrassing for all of these people. The real heroes are the people that don't do that kind of stuff. So these were, these were just two fantastic pieces. And let me mention uh, a couple of the other things and how it goes back to that. We had a great book review of um, uh, a book entitled Robert E. Lee's Orderly, A Modern Black Man's Confederate Journey. It's written by Al Arnold. Uh, Julie Payne did a review of this. And um, this is something that people don't want you to know, that there are black Americans who are interested in Confederate history and aren't, you know, hate Confederate people. And in fact, understand that they had some relatives who might have been rather sympathetic with it. Now, this is where people like Kevin Levine, uh, who would say, all these people are just deluded. There's, there's, this is all a myth. There's no Confederate, black Confederates, none, zero. An orderly is not a black Confederate. He's a slave. And he has no choice. Well, I mean, what's a conscript, number one? But also, um, these people were black Confederates. Just, be, just because they're, they are uh, enslaved and just because they are, you know, you could say they're forced into this, and they were, just like a conscript, doesn't mean they weren't a black Confederate. They were not a recognized soldier by the Confederate government. But it didn't mean they didn't do soldierly things. Even Levine has to admit that. Even, you know, Bruce... Levine, who I say Kevin Levine, his name is actually Kevin Levin. I say it to be funny. Bruce Levine and Kevin Levine and Kevin Levin and Bruce Levine, they're like interchangeable. They almost look exactly alike. They're interchangeable. They both have done this stuff. Even these these dopes will admit, well, yeah, they had to do some soldiering things at times, but they weren't really Confederates. And they try to psychoanalyze people. Well, we know these people really didn't support this stuff because how could they? How could? See, they can't believe it. And of course, a Confederate doesn't have to be in a, a a legal soldier. They can just be supporting the cause in some way. And would you call someone who is in the United States who supports the Union a unionist? Even if they're not fighting for the Union? Well, of course. They would be a unionist. They could be a black unionist, somebody who supports the Union. I mean, that's that's what they are, right? So a Confederate could be someone who supports the Confederacy. Anyways, this is where this stuff is ridiculous. And um, this review is a nice addition to what we've done before. Um, where we have black Americans discovering that, well, there were you know, black Confederates. Uh, there was a video of a woman in New York, found it fascinating, where she uh, was doing some research into her family and found that uh, her family had black Confederates, essentially. I mean, it's, it's the Creole population. She, she traced her family back to that. And Gary Mills, great Southern scholar uh, who died, unfortunately, too, too early, Gary Mills at the University of Alabama had written a great book about this. Um, these these uh, Creole people in Louisiana, and many of them supported the Confederacy. And he talks about why, because they they, I mean, this was their property. This was their family too. This is this is where they were, and they're going to support it. And a lot of these people were uh, part of the slave owning system as well. So you've got a lot of complexities in all of this. And then, you know, we had a, a nice little fun piece on the death of Bully, who was a, you know, mascot. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's just fantastic. It you know, gives you a glimpse of, of life in the South in the 1950s. Uh, just really good. Um, and, you know, how important football really is to the South and these, these mascots. And uh, it's a fun little piece. But I want to finish very quickly with the Travis Holt piece on Tuesday. The echoes. And it all goes back to everything we've talked about, this continuity. Holt is a fun writer from Arkansas. 
And he's very interested in family and family dynamics and lineage and continuity. That's what he writes a lot about. And that's what The Echoes is about. I mean, really all of these things, whether it's Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson or Jefferson Davis or uh, you know, Al Smith finding The Echoes or this woman in New York finding The Echoes, that's what we're doing here. This is The Echoes. It's the people that have passed that still resonate. And it's all around him, he says. Look, it's all around you. Everywhere you go, you can see it if you look for it. And that's what I find great about this piece. And Travis Holt always does a good job bringing out the human and emotional element to all of this. What the Wokies want to do is disconnect the South from its heritage and lineage. It's what they want to do. And it's actually barbaric and evil. And if you look at what how Holt writes it, um, if you have any, again, bit of humanity, you would have these same feelings. Until next time, good day. Good day.